What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel, coming to you from the Baseball America podcast nook. I feel like we I haven't said that in a while. We haven't been here together in a while. We really haven't been here together. And uh, we have been here. You, We've been in the office together. We worked on the Prospect Handbook together. We worked on a lot of books together this offseason. It is book season at Baseball America and at BaseballAmerica.com. Our 2014 books are out. Uh, the directory is going to press today. The Prospect Handbook went to press just before the new year. She'll be coming back from the printer's. Uh, within days, and we'll tweet it out. Check your local Twitter listings for when we tweet out the pictures of the pallets arriving here at Baseball America World Headquarters for your prospect handbook. So your days to pre-order are numbered. Soon you'll just be ordering. But if you pre-order, if you order directly from us, and if you, order, you get the extra if you 31st pre-order, The pre-orders go out before the orders. Because we get a lot of Correct. people asking, hey, when you know. Okay, we do all the pre-orders. You want to pre-order. If you want your book faster, you want to pre-order. And your days to pre-order... Are numbered. The Baseball America Almanac is already out. And of course, uh, it's January. We already talked about this last podcast that Matt and I did. The National Baseball Hall of Fame Almanac is out. And Matt Eddy is now on to the Super Register. So those are our books. And you can order any of those at baseballamerica.com slash store. We're talking today, podcasting a little bit about Masahiro Tanaka signing with the New York Yankees for uh, seven years. I reported $155 million. Pretty big numbers for a Japanese pitcher, obviously record-breaking numbers for an international pitcher, J.J. We thought it was a big deal seven years ago when Daisuke Matsuzaka, when the total package was north of $100 million, but half of that roughly was the posting fee. Here, Tanaka is getting all that $20 million posting fee with this new setup that MLB has. I, I, I know it's shocking, but the full $20 million was bid for the uh... Yeah, exactly. Um, when, the, when the numbers go this far north. But first off, we're going to continue our celebration of our 2009 World Baseball Classic uh, Top 20 Prospects list. We were 7-for-7 seven seven at the top of that list. Chapman or Dane? Who was for one? Darvish? Cha- Chapman won, Darvish two. Chap- you, in, Chap- in hindsight, maybe you could flip that. But sure. We thought Chap- Chapman was going to start. start. Yeah. Chapman, Darvish. Uh, was Cespedes three? No, no, no. I forget. Oh, Iwakuma three. Uh, I'm trying to remember who number four was. I think Cespedes was six. Cespedes was six. Aoki was seven. Tanaka was five. And uh, I always forget who number four was. Number four was Hyunjin Yu. Yeah. I always forget Hyunjin Yu. I always think Korea, I mean, uh, Cuba and Japan. That's a good top seven. The list fell off a little bit after that. So Wait, we, it, the list fell off because, you know, well, Yuleski Goriel yeah, is, uh, is the great white, you know, it's like it's the white whale that's never that's going right. to. You know, you, you, you know he's great, you're never going to see him. But so Tanaka was number five in that uh, World Baseball Classic list. He graduated to number one in the 2013 WBC list. We sent Ben Badler overseas to see him in pitch in Japan, among other things, see Jose Abreu as well. Um, 
Abreu signs this offseason for six years, $68 million, I believe it was. Right around there. Tanaka, seven years, $155 million. Um, JJ, did the numbers surprise you at all on Tanaka, how, no. how far north they went? They, the MLB created this. Right. MLB, again, I, I do come back to, I do not understand, and I didn't at the time, I do not understand what the logic of was of changing the posting system to the current format. Yeah, me neither. The, the current format seems to benefit no one but the player. And while I'm shocked by that is that MLB never does something that the only benefit is, I mean, is... Not, not without a court order. Right. Not, <laughs> not something where they just, of their own free will, go, you know what, we're going to redo this system, and we're going to do it so that just that the player himself uh, benefits more. Yeah, because it didn't seem like that was one that had to be collectively bargained or wrangled over it just was changed it was a very and strange change if, if you're in japan and you're a japanese team if you're if, if you're rakuten you know seeing this deal yep we lost what 50 million dollars uh, conservatively they lost 30 to 50 million dollars i think compared to the old system because under the yeah. old system to, re- to refresh anyone who does not remember under the old system everyone submitted a bid a for the posting fee the highest posting fee bid is then given a window to negotiate with the player to sign a deal. And you don't always get the player in the, under that old system. Hisashi Iwakuma was a great example. Right. A's won the posting bid the first time he tried to come to the United States, and he did not come to a deal. It, it didn't come and, to an agreement with the A's. Right. And so, But under that system, a lot of money went to the team that was losing the player. Only uh, effectively, there was no bidding war for the player. Now, right. there was, you could say in some ways there was a bidding war for the posting, but since that was a secret bid type system, it's not something where I've got 50 from them, or are you going to go 55? Right. You always. It was a guessing game. It was a guessing game. I, I guess that's why they didn't like it, is because there was some unknown. Like, you know, a team could end up outbidding other, you know, themselves, but that happens in the current system too. It does. But so what happened instead is. The, the thing that I thought that was good about that old system, and I think there are things that could have been tweaked, but the best part about the old system was it did give a legitimate opportunity for a multitude of teams to actually be part of the process. Right, um, right. A guy like... And we're talking about Oakland right. and getting in that process right. for Iwakuma. A, a guy like Darvish or Tanaka, would it be likely that the highest posting would come from a, a big market team? Sure. But... There was a lot more chance that it was something where, okay, you know, hey, we ended up putting in a, a slightly better bid than anyone else, and we were able to work out a deal. It's going to be a high-priced acquisition, but there was that possibility. Right. Now, it's not. Now, on any type of, of premium guy, everyone's going to bid $20 million Right. Who has any interest in it. Just to get in the game. Just, just to get, to get in the in. game. And then it really comes down to, okay, well, each of you pass go by entering your $20 million bid. And so now... We're going to see, you know, which gives the best offer. And that's going to be the Dodgers or the Yankees or, or someone like that. And what we have here is, is that this is a very rare commodity. I, I, I think that, that when people react to the numbers, and one of the things that they made the point was, wow, Tanaka got as much money as Felix Hernandez. Is Tanaka as good as Felix Hernandez? No, I, I don't think he is. I don't think so either. That being said, Felix Hernandez never hit the free agent market. There's a big difference. There's one thing to say, I'm going to re-up a couple of years before my contract is up with all the injury risk and all. How many guys of Tanaka's caliber have hit the free agent market 
pitching wise in the past. Age. At his age, as a twenty five year old, nobody. The, I mean, that's, really, the best guy, the the best comparable I can think of is is Zach Greinke, and I think that Tanaka has a better track record of consistent success than Greinke. Yeah, I would take Greinke though. I mean, I would yeah. take Greinke over but, Tanaka in the if they were both in the free market. Right. That, that's the only guy. Right, though. That's very very few players. You, usually, it's usually you're. I mean. The Greinke year, the other guys out there were Anibal Sanchez, who's, who had a very good year this last year. But there was some trepidation if you were going to sign Anibal Sanchez to a long-term deal. But this year's this and year's pitching market was the Ricky Nolasco's and those Matt kind of Garza, guys. Matt Garza. And everybody, everybody who – the top starting pitchers on this off-season free agent market, were, every single pitcher had a hickey. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a slam dunk. So, uh, you know, to me, I understand why the numbers got as, got as inflated as they did. Like you said, it's just supply and demand. You know, there's a very finite supply of pitchers on this planet who teams want to pitch game one or game two of a playoff series. And the Yankees hope they have two mm-hmm. in Sabathia, who certainly had a terrible year last year, especially for his standards. Uh, by anybody's standards, it was a bad year. For his, it was a terrible yeah. year. And then Tanaka. So, you know, is Tanaka the number one starter in New York? Number two? I don't, I don't think they really care if he's one or two. I think they're paying him to be a playoff starter, uh, a wingman for Sabathia and hoping that Sabathia bounces back. This is the same playbook they played from after the 2008 season, J.J. If if, there'd been, if you, Darvish, had been posted that offseason that year, I'm sure the Yankees would have been hard after him in 2000. It just whoever happens to be on the market. And the Yankees did not see Matt Garza or any of the other free agent pitchers at that level. But when Scott Feldman's getting $10 million a year, I don't have a problem with. I think Tanaka is twice as good as Scott and, Feldman, and also, even if he hasn't pitched in the major leagues yet. And and also worth remembering with that there are no strings with this. It's right. money, but there are no draft pick compensation tied to it. And, Great point. And beyond that, one thing we also have to remember: again, we have been critical of some of the things that the new CBA and the rules what it has done. You only have very. This is the only real avenue you have. To spend money. This is what the CBA tells teams to do. Spend your money at the major league level, locking up your young players or giving outlandish, outrageous, what you think are outrageous contracts to major league players. It's a, you it's have a no nearly, other option. It's a nearly $8 billion industry, and it, all that money has to be funneled either it, to the owner's pockets, which is right. you know what they're going to do, or to the top players. And if you're the Yankees, at this point, the Yankees' farm system is poor right now. The, oh, Yankees, yeah, no doubt. the Yankees are not getting a whole lot of help from the farm system. Okay, there were times in the past where your approach at this point could be, you know what, we are getting old, we're going to spend a lot of money you know, to, to really bulk up the farm system. That's not an option for the Yankees now right. in any way, shape, or form. It is funny to see some of the reaction, though, to this signing. First, just like we said, the money. Second, the Yankees part of it. When the Yankees get involved in a major signing like this, J.J., it just brings out the kind of the extremes. It brings out the Yankee fans who get excited, and there are more Yankees fans than there are any other fans because mm-hmm. it's New York, because of 27 championships, all that. So you get that side of like, oh well, now we're the favorites, or which no, I don't not. think I don't no, think, I, I don't think they're the favorites. No, I agree. That this is this is all about being part of the conversation. This is a 450 million dollar give or take off season. Very similar, again, to the one back in 2008-2009 offseason, that winter, where it was a $423 million expenditure. That was mostly on three players, Sabathia, Burnett, Teixeira. This year has been spread out a little bit more, but you have $16 million to Kuroda, $12 million to Jeter. 
$12 million, I understand Derek Jeter's worth more to the Yankees, but $12 million of Derek Jeter, who was drafted, oh, by the way, in 1992. <laughs> he's two years younger than me. <laughs> I'm old. I'm Jackie Robinson number old. So I don't like saying that number, but everybody knows what number it is. So Derek Jeter's if you're giving a 40-year-old shortstop $12 million, I understand he has other, you know, coming off a broken ankle who couldn't play last year, basically. That, to me, is a bigger deal or a worse contract in some ways. But they had no From choice. a money standpoint. They, they had no choice. So they would have been a public relations nightmare. Not only that, but they, they don't really have... Well, they didn't a, give Brendan Ryan five, a yeah. two-year $5 million contract. Um, <laughs> that's not the guy you. That's not the guy you want replacing number but, two. But so, the, so I do think the Yankees have improved themselves in many ways. I do uh, from yeah, a, the, just a McCann player standpoint. Career, McCann, yeah. McCann, Beltron, and Ellsbury all should hit very well in New York in that ballpark. I expect McCann to hit thirty home runs. I would be shocked if uh, Ellsbury, if he's healthy, didn't hit fifteen to twenty. Even though I know he's only hit double figures once ever in twenty eleven, I'd be shocked if Beltron, if he stays healthy. Doesn't hit 25. But the reason that this stays healthy because there's a legitimate reason for but that. This is like outside of Tanaka. This is like, first of all, Tanaka like, is going to be the only guy in there who's, I mean, he's by far the youngest player the Yankees have signed this offseason. And he's probably the youngest player on their team by a decent amount. I mean, is Ivan Nova the next youngest guy? Because Tanaka's 25. Yeah, if, if he's not, it's going to be. I mean, you never know like who's going to be the, the fungible 25th guy in a roster kind of guy. I mean, because even Adam Warren and David Phelps, those guys are older. And those are their younger guys. Those guys are like 27 years old. So it's, a, it's an older team. Oh, by the way, David Huff was the player DFA'd to make room for Masahiro Tanaka. So tough day for David Huff. Um, maybe Tanaka can give him some money out of his wallet to ease the pain. But... Um, this, this team, to me, J.J., is not a lock for the playoffs. They still are looking at a projected infield of Teixeira at first, Brian Roberts talking about injury risk at second, Jeter and his caddy, Brendan Ryan. Brendan Ryan is going to have this, like, the 19th century nickname, like Derek Jeter's legs will be yeah. his nickname. And then, oh, I guess that was actually a 20th century nickname, Babe Ruth's legs was the, was the player yeah. of that nickname. And then Kelly Johnson, I guess, at third base, who's never been a regular third baseman, and a one-year, $3 million contract for a reason. He's a useful player, but... Uh, I think there also there has to be some preparation there that he may end up playing some second, too. Yeah, and Eduardo Nunez is the other guy who's in that factor. And the reason Eduardo Nunez is backing up all those guys is because the Yankees have seen enough of him to know he's not a regular. Right. That is not a championship-caliber infield, J.J. It's no, not in no. any way. And I'm again, I'm not saying... like They're in the conversation now, but in that division especially, it's hard to say that anyone else... The Red Sox... The Red Sox are still in a vastly superior situation of the two organizations. I think so. Because all these deals that you saw see right now, it again, the Yankees have the ability to do this. It's it's putting the pain down the road. You know, and you know that a lot of these contracts seven years with Tanaka, yes. Is there a chance that by year five, six, and seven he may not be worth the uh, the money. Yeah, he sure. has an op- he has an opt out after four years, and if he's worth if, if he's going great the first four years, he's an opt out and make more money. If he's not, he's going to say, "I'm very comfortable here in New York. Get me Key Gawa's driver, please. <laughs> I can do that shuttle." Um, <laughs> you know, but it it, it is it, it's one of those things where yes, they have managed to paper over what were some very significant flaws because they went out and spent, and again. It's not like they don't have the money. Yes, they, they have they have now come out and said, okay, that whole getting on the luxury tax thing, yeah, yeah, just... Right. No. That's but, not going to happen. But 
with all this, you still look at them, you say the Red Sox, you say the Rays. I think, you know, talk about a team that, you know, the Blue Jays should be better. The I Orioles expect- are the team that just is baffling what they've yeah, done. I was just in Baltimore this weekend, and uh, I do some radio shows up there. My sister lives up there, and uh, just the vibe in Baltimore uh, is definitely one of, uh, this was a bad off season, And no one is looking forward in Baltimore I, although I think he had a great year last year, no one's looking forward to the Tommy Hunter closer era well, in Baltimore. It's just, it's just like all the, it's just like, it's the fact that the Baltimore Orioles haven't made any moves that seem to make them better. They've they've lost players while everyone else in the division has made a move to get better in their in their opinion. That's the, 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 the way but, the but, way the fans have but, viewed it. There perception and, sometimes is and fairly also reality. The, but I think there's a fair perception that that also while everyone can see that the window is small. Like, this is not a team. The Red Sox right now are in a situation where they can contend now and at the same time make moves strategically looking long-term because, you know you know what? Our roster's good enough to contend now. We proved that last year. Right. You know, But beyond that, we've got the farm system and all where, okay, Ellsbury's gone. You know what? We'll plug in Jackie Bradley. Okay, Stephen Drew, we can sit there and stare him down for as long <coughs> as we want because... Really, Xander Bogarts probably will be better next year. Right. They, they can bide their time with, like, well, Middlebrooks didn't have a great year last year. didn't have a great finish. He had his moments. He certainly has but, flash promise. But they can give him a little bit more rope, A, because they've just won a World Series, B, because they have Bogarts. And they could, and see, they have Cicchini sitting there exactly. who was in double A at the end of last year. who They can say, you know what, if, it, if by July it's not working and Cicchini is playing an adequate third base, we could always plug him into. I think it's hard to imagine that Boston will have the same – Chemistry because they really did play. I think they, I think they maximized their potential last year. I thought some guys had better than years than you would expect. Um, for the most part, they were quite healthy last year. Um, yeah, they, you know, I mean, a Napoli, team has a good like that kind of year. Yeah. you would expect them to drop back a little bit to the pack. They got a lot of breaks last year. They didn't get. They took advantage of them. Kudos to the Red Sox, obviously, but they have a. I think they still have a better major league roster than New York does. And they certainly have a better farm system than New York does. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, to me, Tampa is in that same mix with New York as far as uh, not a great farm system. It's not a terrible farm system. They have a lot more depth uh, than New York. I'm not sure if they have as much potential impact in their system. And they made an unusual deal today, JJ. I it's think we, we both feel like uh, Tampa really got, did pretty well to get five players for Alex Torres and Jesse Hahn, who, you know, the, the Yeti uh, microphone is too close to me for me to scream Hahn in William Shatner fashion. But did that surprise you, that deal? That just seemed like another example of the Rays' pro-scouting acumen to parlay those two players into five potentially useful pieces. I, I felt like that they did a great job. This is what the, the Rays do, I feel like, now. I don't, you know, we've talked about they haven't had a whole lot of great. They haven't had a whole lot of good drafts right. in a long time. They haven't had good drafts, but they haven't had a great draft since two thousand seven. But with that, they do a great job of turning prospects on their team and big leaguers on their team into picking up prospects from other teams who end up turning into something. And Jesse Hahn, I, you know Jesse, we kind of know. I, everyone has, a, I think, a pretty decent idea what Alex Torres is at this point. Right. He's a reliever. He's a potentially useful reliever. He was outstanding was great for much of the year in 2013. It did seem like toward the end of the year he was more of a he was a mid trust as opposed well, to a high trust reliever. And, and that is selling high. Like yes. it's it, the epitome it of is, it. It is fair to say 
because it's almost not possible. Like, you're not expecting that he'll ever have a better year than that year. Correct. You know, I, I don't think it's really possible. So with that, you're selling high, and then you're trading away in Jesse Hahn. Yes, there's good stuff there. Big time arm. I mean, uh, one of the top, I would say it was one of the top five arms in terms of just pure stuff in the Rays farm system. I remember talking to their manager in Florida State League coverage. You thought, are debatable whether he was their top arm or not on that team. Um, has a good power breaking ball. And we're seeing him at Virginia Tech against North Carolina in a 2010 game. There was a lot of heat on him. He was starting that year after closing his first two years for the Hokies. And a lot of scouts in to see him in that game. And he kind of wilted a little bit. And then it, there had been injury rumors. And that was a year where his injury went from his knees to his kidney to his arm. Uh, that, I believe, was the progression that there was a either near him. There was like a leg injuries move up the body yeah, like that. There was a leg injury, then there was a kidney stone problem, and then okay, yeah, it's his elbow that's sore. I mean, it was, and then he didn't pitch until 2012. So not every Tommy John surgery you come back a year later, nine to 12 months later. It took Jesse Hahn basically two years to come back from Tommy John surgery, and he's 24. He's a 1989 birthday. He's going to turn 25 this year, and he's thrown 121 pro innings. So while he is an intriguing arm and a guy to watch, and he's a prospect. I was surprised by how much value he had in this trade. Um, that, that just really surprised me because Matt Andrees, I don't think Matt Andrees is frankly all that different when it's all said and done. No. Fastball splitter guy who's been much more durable, probably a lower ceiling, but most likely the guys are both middle relievers. Um, Matt Lawless, you know, I, more of a power arm. Uh, but, but, but an intriguing power arm. I mean, like, an, and Max, Max Tissenbaum. I like Max Tissenbaum, and it made me bring up, uh, you know, to Aaron Fit his Stony Brook hat that he got in the 2012 College World Series, which made Aaron very sad because his dog has destroyed his Stony Brook hat. So if you have an extra Stony Brook hat out there, send it in to Aaron. He, he's in need of a replacement. But, no, I, again, what we're saying, though, is, is overall this division is still very brutal. And the Tanaka, I, I see very much where the Yan- why the Yankees did this because the Tanaka move, gets them much closer to where they need to be than where they were before. I did want to, though, bring up kind of looking at this from a different angle. One of the other things we saw a lot of reaction today was about, you know, it comes back to that's a lot of money to give a guy who's never pitched in the big leagues. Yeah. And I I think both of us have a kind of a, a similar viewpoint on that, which is at this point, when you say something like that, it to me is your choices are it's either you're just denigrating you know what is the MPB, or you're really just unaware of this league and, and what what it is. I mean because at, at this point, you know, it's like you're unaware of the CBA and the way that it basically funnels all but, the money toward the major league roster and away but, from. But the other thing though is is that pitching in, draft. we have a. This is not this is not 1992. Right. We have a good feel. We have a good reason to believe yeah. that what Tanaka has done is going to translate. We and have 17 years of experience with it now. Hideo Nomo, 18 years. Hideo Nomo's first major league season was 1995. So, I mean, it's been but, 18 full major league seasons. But and and the number of busts of the high profile guys who came over from Japan is really pretty small. It feels like it dwindles, actually, year on year. Hideki Arabu, okay, there was a time where it was like... But he was signed in 1997. Yes. The Yankees' experience with the Japanese... Kiyogawa. ...has been bad. Arabu, and don't forget Katz Maeda, who was a prospect for them in the late 90s and who really wasn't a prospect. He was given a lot of money. I I think he got $5 million as like a 
you know, he was like a 20-year-old and flamed out. I think he was most most famous for his green hair that he uh, spent trying to match the Thunder Chicken uh, logo at the time. But Kiyigawa, very expensive limo drive from Manhattan to Scranton, Wilkes-Barre for four years. Um, that's my favorite part of that story. Yes, that is, uh, but Irabo, uh, what was he called? A fat pussy toad by George Steinbrenner, I believe, was the exact wording. So, um, yeah, I, I think Tanaka's track record is better than those guys, but it's been a long time. Kiyigawa was signed, what was it, seven, eight years ago? Yeah. It, so, well, and in the, in the interim, interim, we have, you know, it's not just you, Darvish. And I, I think we both agree. You don't really want to point to you, Darvish, and say, see what Tanaka can do, because you, Darvish, right. was the most physical of any of the Japanese pitchers who've come That would be like pointing to uh, uh, Dirk Nowitzki and expecting all German basketball players to be good because Dirk Nowitzki was good. He's an extremely unique case. He has a 7-foot-1 shooter. Here's a 6-foot-5 Japanese pitcher who's also of Persian descent. He's unique, and he's not really useful in terms of comparisons. That being said, to me, what what Hiyashi Iwakuma has done Mm -hmm. the last couple of years is very useful. Or Hiroki Kuroda. Or Hiroki Kuroda. Or, I mean, there, he's a reliever now, but he was a starter in Japan, but Koji Uhara. Yep. We have a lot of examples of Japanese pitchers who've been excellent here. But Iwakuma always stands out to me because Iwakuma, like Tanaka, had a, a, a pretty you know significant track record of success. We've seen it in the World Baseball Classic. Right. We'd seen it. Now, he had injury problems that Tanaka has not. Right. A shoulder injury, yeah. as a matter of fact. Not just not so, not Tommy John, not like a strain. It was a full-on shoulder injury. But what Iwakuma has done is kind of just a reminder. Like, that was not considered at the time a, a particularly high-profile signing. And, you know, he was a Cy Young candidate last year. A legitimate Cy Young candidate. Now, again, with Tanaka, you have, you know, Tanaka has better pure stuff than, than Iwakuma. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and throws harder, and the split finger fastball is sounds like it's comparable to Uhara, uh, Koji Uhara's split finger. And, and I do think that there is one of the things that's useful with that is is that because the split in the U.S. has become such a feared pitch, there's an advantage for the Japanese pitchers because in in Japan it's not a feared pitch; it's it's part of the repertoire. And the fear JJ's talking about is not like fear like a like a Bruce Suter striking fear into a no. hitter. It's fear from the pitching coach. None People of them wants get, to be Rod, the next Roger. They don't want Scott Garelt's blood on their hands or right. all those other no guys. No one lets they work on it here. Yeah, no one no, no one teaches the split finger anymore. And not in the States. It doesn't feel like it. In Japan, it's like you feel like that it's being taught at every high school in the country. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're throwing splitters and wiffle ball. You know, little kids are throwing splitters but, in Little League. And and so with that, I think there's an advantage to that in that you don't see a whole lot of them. And, I mean, it's not like you don't know it's coming, you know, when you see some of these guys. But... You're not getting, it's not the exposure, it's not like, it's a little different than seeing the, the fastball slider guy that you see all the time. I do, I think that, I think it helps him. I, I think it helps, because it is a unique look for all these Japanese pitchers who throw it. And and if you haven't gone to, go to BaseballAmerica.com, we got it linked up today on the front page, uh, you know, of our, our Tanaka signing story. If you go, we do, we have gifs of his fastball, his slider, and his split. And I think one of the things that's useful is, is that for him, his slider and his split, they're hard to tell apart. Right. They have different actions, but they're hard to tell apart. And I think that just adds to the Tanaka's, you know, the potential he has to be a very useful starting pitcher. I, I do think the other thing you hear about with him is, is the workload. And there's true. I mean, he 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 hit the he hit the, the MPB in a, essentially a Gooden type way. Yeah, he was an 18 year old 
Phenom. Phenom. And then the last three seasons, the ERA has been under two in MPB. And two of those three seasons, it was a 127 ERA. So uh, he was good as an 18-year-old. He wasn't quite good and good. But two, I guess it was 2011, he struck out like 230 guys in 220 innings and uh, wasn't quite as dominant in terms of the strikeouts this year. But 24-0 is 24-0. Not even Brian Kenny can knock that one. So. And, and, and the thing that the one thing that is worth noting with that, though, is, is when you talk about workload, he has had a heavy workload, and that is a cause for concern because he's had a heavy workload at a young age. Yep. But he's pitching. It's a different workload in some ways in that he went deeper, but he also was pitching less often because it's a, effectively a seven-day schedule there. That's going to adjust right. what he's got to make. But also... Ben Badler with us made a good point of noting this as he basically broke down start after start of Tanaka's this year. It's a little different. It's not facing, he's got to do it different here, but this isn't pitching in the AL. This was, he would get through the middle of the order and then the end of the order, you know, the back end of the order, it was something where he could just take something off and think of 1920, you know, this is. I was about to say, it's almost, it sounds like he was pitching the way Ben described it. It's kind of like a pitching a in the, of the 1950s or the 60s, exactly. Uh, just where you did not have to. You could cruise at the back of a lineup because there wasn't a threat. You could give up hits. There wasn't a threat of giving up a home run, and that's what's so different. The two big differences in the American game is any hitter 1-8 to eight or 1-9 to nine in the American League, any hitter can hit a fastball, it feels like. can time Any big league hitter can time a fastball and do some damage with it from any spot in the lineup. And number two is the grind of the 162-game season. And those are the two big things he's going to have to adjust to. The shorter work, the shorter rest, uh, it's not going to be a heavier workload. It'll probably be used more carefully. I think he can say goodbye to pitching 160 pitches in a game as he did in game six and, and of last year's Japan series. he can say goodbye to the, the number of complete games. I mean, he had three times more complete games, I think, last year than any U.S. pitcher. Well, he, had eight, he had eight complete games last year, but he had many more than that two years prior to that. Um, I just was on his page, and I think it was eight each of the last two years, and I think it was 14 in 2011. Which is that's pretty much like sport. there are teams that don't have 14 complete games in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. Most teams do not go 14 complete games. So I don't think the Yankees will use him that way. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're expecting well, him to do that. They, but they are expecting uh, well, to use 33 starts and a vast majority of those to be to be quality starts. And again, they're expecting him to see, be one or two. Now, I would say if you're if you're the Yankees, I know you're in the you know you're not being you're not good enough to just point right away to say we're going to be in the playoffs. But I would be interested in year one. Do you maybe actually make them have? I, you probably don't with the money you're paying them, but I think it would be a little creative to actually give him thirty to thirty-one starts, like just a couple of times a year. Yeah, back him off for one because he is adjusting to a different, you know, every five-day schedule. I agree. No, I agree because you, and, they, and the Yankees suddenly do have some depth mm-hmm. because you're talking about having re-signed Kuroda, Tanaka, Sabathia. That's your top three. Ivan Nova, you would assume, slots into that fourth spot. Uh, is their fifth starter David Phelps? Is it Adam Warren? Both those guys, you know, had their... Whichever t- one's not, you figure is going to get some starts around the The season. other guy's going to be a long man. Um, and to me, their bullpen is still a real question mark. We mentioned the infield. I mean, they did lose the greatest closer of all time, who was still quite effective last year. So they have to replace him. And if they replace him with David Robertson, then you have to replace one of the game's better and more consistent setup men. That's... Not to be trivialized is that David Robertson has been a really nice bridge for them to Rivera for a good four, almost five years. I mean, <laughs> well, you're, you're, what you're hoping is is that it just it just follows form, and you go, okay, so this is Rivera was the setup man for Wetland, and now you know every 20 years we do this. I don't think that's going to happen. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't either. Their bullpen was a problem last year, 
They did not plan on giving Preston Claiborne innings that mattered, and they had to. So Tanaka does not solve all their problems. He doesn't paper over all their problems. He does make them much more of a contender, I feel, in 2014 than they were previously. Previously, I think they were a cinch, not playoff team. Now I think they're in that mix. They're certainly not a cinch playoff team. They're a lot more in the mix now. There are not a lot of teams that I think, I think Sabathia will bounce back and be good. I don't think he'll be old-timey CC, but he's not going to be, what was he, like the second worst starting I mean, pitcher in the American I, League last you, year? You do have to ask. Statistically. Like, and I'll be interested to see you know, if he is in the, uh, the best shape of his life when he comes to spring training. <laughs> he but, tweeted, his wife tweeted a picture of him looking much thinner yesterday. But you have to think that if there is a, the most positive thing that could come out of last season for him was to have that that bad of a season, and let's be honest. I mean, CeCe's been – it's not like he wasn't able to pitch well with it before. Yeah, he but he was sloppy. He was sloppy. He, got, he was definitely sloppy. And if he comes back, we're not saying that CeCe you know, needs to come in at 240 or anything. But if he comes in in better shape, you do wonder he, – he may be hitting that age where it's like, you know what, you can't do it that way anymore. Right. Right. I mean, I, I think that's very reasonable that um, that he's he's getting past the point. Guys lose a little arm speed. You know, he, he lost significant velocity lost significant last year. Arm speed. So to me, it wasn't a matter of the weight so much. It was a matter of the conditioning. And that's what he says. And he's talking about being in better condition this offseason. So. Right. Well, and again, I don't even really care what his weight is, but he yeah. gotta have he got to carry less weight around the middle. He just has to be better. Yeah. He's, I, I, if he's not better... In 2014 than he was in 2013, that's a troublesome contract. It's already kind of a troublesome contract, but I just never forget, uh, Bill Simmons is not the greatest baseball analyst in the world, but when they signed Sabathia, he said, like, this might be great this short term, but he was dreaming. I think he may have written, like, 2015, like, in year six of this eight-year deal, and Sabathia pushing three bills, sweating it out of the pinstripes. He he may be on the other side of it. He was last year. I think he was clearly. I mean, he was Calvin Pickering big last year. Jafet Amador big. But that's nice. But that guy's had a great career at that size. I mean, he's... Right, I mean... if he, I expect a bounce back. Do do you expect the Yankees to be a playoff team? It sounds like you don't. I still say right now... I expect... No, no. And the reason I say this is that they don't have the depth behind this. There's so many positions where you say... If he stays healthy. Right. And we're saying this, Brian McCann, if he stays healthy. Because Brian McCann was terrible last year. Yeah, well, he wasn't Brian McCann, that's for sure. Right. He, he, I mean, he was not his best, that's for sure. Brian Roberts, if he stays healthy. He hasn't done that in three years. Right. Carlos Beltran, if he stays healthy. I, I, Beltran is still a very good player, but it you really feels like you feel like you get your, you get your best Carlos Beltran in 80 to 90 game He's burst. a poor defender at this point. Right. Now, lucky for him, New York has a very small right field. So right. it's not like they're but, asking him to cover Fenway Park's right field. I, I mean, to put you on the spot, I know they got Brendan Ryan behind him. And I'm sorry, I don't consider that particularly you know, vital depth. Because right. I mean, Brendan Ryan is essentially free talent at this point in his right. career. But um, how, how many games do you think Jeter plays this year? 60? I think 60 would be... How many? Okay. You know, I was going to say like... Yeah, I don't, I don't expect him to make it to the full season. I just I just really don't. I know he's driven to do it, but all the A-Rod talk from the previous week, you know, ten, and we haven't even mentioned Alfonso Soriano, who's also old. Ichiro is like a 40-year-old reserve who's not very good. Uh, but they lost Curtis Granderson, who, was, who hit 40 home runs there back-to-back seasons. I know it's a home park that favors him, but one of those years he hit 20 home and 20 road. I mean, Curtis Granderson, they, just lost, they lost a pretty good player. Um, even Brett Gardner, who's their young regular, is like 30 years old. Uh, 
A Rod, when A Rod came back last year, he was their second best offensive player, JJ. I mean, after Soriano. So that's a loss for them. I know they gained some financial flexibility, but they did lose a good player. And I would rather have A Rod on the field than Kelly Johnson at third base. So yeah, right we'd now, rather have Kelly Johnson at three mil than A Rod at twenty five. And Teixeira, and Teixeira was diminishing, but and I missed an entire season. So they're just they have a it, lot of question right. marks. I, I, I'm sorry. I just look at it and I say I look at the Rays and I say I don't have to get unrealistic with a lot of their. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen to David Price. And that could end up being a distraction, or it right. could end up being he's dominant this year and he's still playing for him, or he could be traded and he brings in a boatload. We don't know. But with or without David Price, I feel very good about their rotation. Yes, I agree. And, I, and it's not asking guys to be we're not, it's not like with CC where we're saying if you make a massive you know, comeback. Right. Their comeback is Jer- can Jeremy Hellickson get back, but they're saying that as he's going to be what, their four or their five? Yeah, he might be their fifth starter right now. So that's not. That's a whole lot less riding on it. Correct. Whereas the Yankees are riding on that they need Sabathia and they need Kuroda to keep doing what he's doing. And he wore down last year. Yeah, I mean, and he's 38. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's Kuroki Kuroda has, has been outstanding for the Yankees. He was good for the Dodgers. He's, and he's been a big surprise to me that he's been better, really, in New York than he was in Los Angeles. But he's 38 years right. old. There, there's a lot. And if any of these fall apart... There aren't a whole lot of clear options behind them, whereas... They showed we, last year that David Phelps and Adam Warren are not starters in a playoff team. Whereas, again, like we go back to the Red Sox, it's almost like wherever position you pick, if you say that the Red Sox, uh-oh, okay, say that that guy's out for the year. Well, Buckholtz, they lost Buckholtz, was their best starting pitcher the first half of the year. They lose Buckholtz, and they were able to go out and leverage their farm system to get PV. They really didn't give up any pieces that were really big time pieces for them. A couple, of, well, at least one of those pieces, Brandon Jacobs, has already been traded again mm-hmm. um, to pick up PV, who was a fourth starter for them in the playoffs. And Felix Dubron uh, was very solid for them. So, but, and there's more coming on the way. I was going to say Barnes, Renato, Henry Owens, uh, chief among yeah. them. And, and the key thing also, Alan being, Webster. The, the key difference also being that come June, come July, if you say, okay, well. the the Red Sox have a clear hole that they need to fill, and the Yankees have a clear hole they need to fill. The Red Sox, I'm not saying both of them can't fill it by you know by dipping into the farm system to trade, right? but it's going to be a lot easier for the Red Sox to do it than the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, for, for New York, you're basically talking at AAA, you're going to be opening next year with Vidal Nuno, who does have a little bit of big league time, but is really a, he's a 40 low in the book or whatever he is. He's a low-ceiling, fifth-starter, filler-type guy. Hey, maybe he overachieves. More power to him. I like Vidal Nuno's story. And then Manny Banuelos is the other X factor in there. And Manny Banuelos missed all of 2013. And, you know, that spring training where he lit it up, that's been a while now. This will be like three years ago in 2014. That right. was spring of 2011, if memory serves. And, and Still a guy who's never thrown more than 120 innings in a season. Uh, just a big, he's an X factor. Because that's not a guy that you can count but on. But not an X factor, but you can't, you can't trade him for much. Yeah, his value that, is low. That's the thing to me is, is that... The Rays maximize that themselves. The Rays are so good at trading. Like you said, Alex Torres had this out-of-his-mind season. They sell very high on Alex Torres and on Jesse Hahn. But they, you know, the Yankees can't do the same thing with Manny Banuelos. He has to reestablish some trade value. Right. And I don't know even if you at the mid-season point, like, I think that's a guy... I think Anthony Renato last year, you know, it was similar. Like, if, at the mid-season point when you're looking to trade... I think other teams looked at Anthony Renato and said, I know he's having a really good year. 
I'm holding back. Absolutely. I, I think agree. Manny Benuelos could be ten and two with a you know a sub two ERA at the midpoint of the season, and there'd still be teams who're like, if they're offering him as the main guy in a trade, I don't know if I want that because I'm a little afraid. Yeah, I mean that's possible. I will say again, uh, I've had this debate internally with Josh Norris, our you know he used to cover uh, Yankees Double A team in Trenton. Um, I do think the Yankees' track record for developing pitching is actually better than people want to give it credit for, whether it's Phil Hughes or Jabba Chamberlain or Ian Kennedy or uh, Mark Melanson, uh, you name it. To me, all those guys were pretty good draft picks and were developed quite well by the Yankees. David Phelps, Adam Warren were college senior signs who've uh, helped the major league team. To me, the big issue is, is player development in New York, not in their minor league system. Guys get to New York, and we see their talent. Phil Hughes won 18 games one year. Chimney Wong, another product of their player development, had back-to-back outstanding years, 06 and 07. Um, but once they get to New York, these guys don't keep getting better. It's especially true recently. I'm not trying to dog on uh, Joe Girardi because uh, I actually think he's quite good at maximizing the matchups. I think their Pythagorean record last year was 79 and 83. They outperformed about like six games. So I think he's very good at that, but... I'm not a Larry Rothschild guy. Everyone throws Dusty Baker under the bus for Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. Larry Rothschild was the pitching coach at that time. Larry Rothschild was the manager and had a big part of development in the Rays, back when the Rays couldn't develop pitching to save their life. I'm not a Larry Rothschild guy. I think his track record is what it is. He's not great with young pitching. He doesn't develop young pitching. And a lot of Yankees pitchers get to the big leagues. They've shown it in the minor leagues. They get to New York. and They don't get better. That was very true of Java. I think very true of, J- of Phil Hughes. True of Ian Kennedy, who got a lot better once he left. Of course, he kind of he's regressed, but the guy did win 20 games. Um, so to me, uh, I do think the Yankees know what they're doing when it comes to scouting, drafting, and developing pitchers. So I have some faith in Banuelos, but uh, he might be another guy who gets better once he leaves the nest in New York. Well, I think part of that also is, is that they do not have a situation normally where a guy is given five starts to, to kind of figure it out. Most of those guys are not. Ian Kennedy was very quick. They saw, him, like, he, they saw him bad, well, and they cut bait very quickly. Right. They Phil did Hughes get Phil Hughes. Yeah, Phil Hughes but because Phil Hughes actually had he, done well enough right. at the start that it was like, okay, let's keep trying. And he'd also, I mean, he'd succeeded in the bullpen for them in that 09 season. Then he'd had a couple of decent years as a starter. Uh, he certainly regressed. I, I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. I really feel like he was a product of a fly ball pitcher. In a, he was a bad fit in that ballpark, so... Will he be a better fit in Minnesota? I think he probably will. Um, a little bit less pressure and a little bit more forgiving ballpark and target field. One that you know Justin Morneau was complaining about. You can't hit a home run there unless you unless you turn on and jack it. That is certainly not the case at Yankee Stadium no. Three or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, so uh, I, you know Tanaka, that'll be their factor. You know Tanaka's going to a pretty offensive ballpark. JJ, we'll, we'll see. But I, I happen to I agree with you. I have more faith in the ability. I think we have a long track record with Japanese pitchers, and he fits the track record of the guys who've been successful in the United States. So Right, and, and by successful, I think the key thing is is that if you think that he's going to win the Cy Young next year, then you yes, you're, you're expecting too much of this guy. That's not that's not who this guy is. Right. This right. is not the best pitcher in baseball. I, right. I, I do is, think he was the best free agent pitcher on the market this offseason. This is the best free agent pitcher on the market. But, you know, Zach Greinke is a, a number one for most teams. He was a number two for a... For the for the Dodgers. Which, by the way, the Dodgers were in the. I mean, when you talk that now, was amazing. When you talk now about teams that are throwing around their weight, 
don't worry about the Yankees. The Yankees have enough problems. If you are a team, if you are a, if you want like to rail against the big revenue team right. that throws their weight around, yell at the Dodgers because the Dodgers are like. No, no, no. There is no limit. If they had Tanaka, they would have had, like, what, five of the top 15... Con- oh, they have five of the top 15 contracts in baseball right now. But Gonzalez, Crawford, Kemp, Greinke, Kershaw. The, the, the best way to put it is, is the Dodgers acquiring Tanaka would have been simply, is he good? Yes. Okay, well, we want him. We don't need him. Pretty much. When we talk about the Yankees, the Yankees needed him. Yeah. I thought the Cubs, who, you know, would it, the Cubs in some ways needed him. I think the Cubs are probably the biggest loser in all this um, because there is some, uh, again, maybe I shouldn't put so much on the fans, but, you know, the, the Ricketts family buying the Cubs from the Tribune Company, they've already kind of rattled some cages in the neighborhood there with the rules they have with the rooftops and stuff what they want to do with the video board. There's several other elements where they've kind of, it's gotten off to a rocky start there. And oh, by the way, the team has stunk the last two and, years. And really bad. If only, for, like, look at the Astros, please, is what the Cubs have been saying for two years. So the rebuild under Theo Epstein's taking some time. I think it's understandable. They had to tear down a little bit before they well, got started. I, I think, and I do think that it was actually, that was truly a team that it was, in some way, I know fans don't, there don't like it, but, it was time to stop trying to essentially run in place. Right. That said, this year's team was worse than they thought it would be because Castro and Rizzo right. stepped back and Edwin Jackson was worse than they thought. So there's so they could have used the goodwill of a Masahiro Tanaka's, Tanaka signing. So I think they're kind of a loser in this. I don't understand why the Angels didn't bid or didn't seriously bid. That seemed like the kind of thing the Angels should have gotten in on, J.J. You just did an Angels chat today. Not a lot of help on the farm coming there. I mean, why? Why do you think they didn't get more involved in, in the Tanaka? Is it just I wonder if they're tapped out. Destri- exactly. I wonder if they're tapped out. out. I mean, you are talking about at some point when you talk about a whole lot of years with them. Do you do you get to a point? And you go, wait a second. We signed Pujols to this deal that we're going to be paying for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And then we went out and got Hamilton. These haven't worked out all that great for us. Do we want? You know, at some point. And they're they're struck down this road because they have no other option right. if they're going to contend. But there may be some trepidation of whoa, we're getting to seven years, one hundred and fifty. Okay, you know we're out of this right. from the idea of we can't be linked to him for this, and if it goes poorly, we can't we just can't have another contract that could be awful for us. Because it, it just surprises me because the, the Angels are clearly in a cosmopolitan area, albeit it's Anaheim, not Los Angeles. I, I understand that it's Orange County, so it's not quite the same demographics. But I mean, look at what the Dodgers were able to do in terms of their marketing uh, with Hyunjin Yu tapping into the Korean American uh, market there in Los Angeles. I go back again to the 2009 WBC with the Japanese and oh, Korean awesome. fans that were crazy there in Dodger Stadium. So many Asian-American fans, uh, Japanese-American fans, who I think would, uh, in, in the history of the Angels, I mean, Japanese players, Shigetoshi Hasegawa, has there been another significant uh, not, Japanese not, player not on the Angels? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I, I, again, I, I follow you on that, uh, but I think I wonder if you say... Maybe you can make the money. I, I guess, I mean, maybe it's an investment in a Far Eastern fan base. Yeah, but, that has money. Right. But 
I guess it really comes back to is, is like, do you say, you know what, we can't have a third hundred and fifty million dollar plus deal? You know, like I think are, they're a big market, but are they not that big market? I think if you're the Angels and you're thinking, do we give this guy the money? And will uh, you? Have to, by the way, and, we have Mike Trout coming yes. on the line, exactly. And and uh, by the way, I mean, who? I'm we sorry, I know they have to save the money for it. Okay, if I, you know, if I put you on the spot, what do you think the odds that Mike Trout re-ups with the Angels? That's a good question. Uh, they're not. They're, they do say that they're they're shrinking. I, I do think most players like playing for the team that drafted them. There's some goodwill there that the Angels do seem to be chipping away at year by year. But it is also he's not the guy to re up Los at, Angeles, at the you know to re up at a below. I mean, I know you're not going to. You don't have to pay him ten million dollars when he's on his. You know, you assign right. his salary, but you don't. The 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 re-upping him and all that is, is not, you know those those things are remembered. I agree. Those have chipped away at his. I, I think his feel, good feelings, his reservoir, of good but, feelings for the organization. I would put the odds at about seventy five percent because I think they are going to empty their coffers and they do have deep coffers. I don't know. I don't. Well, I, one thing I will say. I don't know if we know for sure. Artie Moreno is still going to be the owner. He's he's been struggling here. It seems like the last couple of years, and I just there has to be some significant frustration. Uh, in that organization from the top down with the way things have gone. And with the fact that the the Rangers have had, a, with the exception of the Derek Holland injury, uh, the Rangers had a great offseason. Um, you know, the yeah, A's are, are still formidable. Um, Seattle, I don't know, but they did sign Robbie Cano. And, um, and, if you, and, and the Astros and are going to be better. I was going to say, if you said which of those teams between the Angels and Astros in 2016 or 17, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd rather have, the, you'd rather have the, the Angels scenario right now. I would say for 2014 and 2015, I'd rather have the Angels. But past that, I think the Angels would probably be fifth in my in that division for me, just because their farm system is so bad, and you know Hamilton and Pujols obviously are all on their pa- are past their prime, and you're kind of hoping for not a dead cat bounce, but you are hoping for something of a bounce back. But I think it's, it'd be folly to expect them to be at their peak in, well, uh, or close to their peak in 2014. And, and again, with, with Trout, the, the thing that I do think. Probably the best argument for him to stay is that he's going to, whether he stays or goes, he's going to be in that realm of insane money. I, mean, I think you know, it's going to be insane money. He and, a, and there's something to be said. We have to. It's hard to remember it now, but if you rewind the clock, let's go way, way, way back. When A-Rod was a Mariner, if he'd have just made the decision, you know what, I'm going to get... Great money to stay here. It won't be as good, but I'm going to get really, really good money to stay here. Right. How would A-Rod's career have been different? A-Rod flipped from being a guy. I mean, again, maybe it would have all come out down the road, but A-Rod, the perception of A-Rod publicly, which, let's be honest, was always important to A-Rod. Sir, certainly. Changed entirely when he became a Ranger. Especially because he got, well, I mean, it just seemed like the reports, if I remember the time, were like he, got, he signed for like 60 million dollars more than anybody else offered. But like the Braves were was, the I Braves mean, were really heavily into it, were they not? But did they offer like hundred eighty million dollars to A Rod and then the the next highest bid I think was under two hundred million dollars and the the Rangers just blew it away. But the the point being that when you you get a target on your back whereas right. no one the thing about it is is that A Rod should have been the highest paid play, player in baseball history. The age at which he was becoming a free agent, the position he played, all of that it made sense. Right. It'll do the same thing for Mike Trout. Mike Trout but, should be the face of baseball. And I Mike mean, Trout should be, when Mike Trout has free agency, Mike Trout should be the highest paid player in baseball. And it go. should be by a pretty good bit. I agree again. But. Unless, if, unless Bryce Harper. Right. But. Comes on. 
But if you do that, the problem of saying those is if you do that, all of a sudden, and whether this is important to you or not, because you've got to make that decision as a player, but all of a sudden, the perception of you changes. Right. If Mike Trout signs the largest by far contract and leaves in free agency, Mike, the perception of Mike Trout right. around the game is going to be somewhat different forever going forward. You can just look at Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is already thought of by a lot of people as that he turned heel basically when he thumbed his nose at the draft rules and left high school two years early. For some people, when he did that, he turned heel. You know, And it's like, um, I mean, he yeah, was ready. Like, <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, how can you fault the guy for that decision? He's younger than Chris Bryant. I'll come back to that again from my column the other day. When I researched that, I could not believe that he's younger than Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant had 46 home runs this year between college and pro ball and, and the fall league. Well, Bryce Harper's had more than 40 home runs in the major leagues, and he's younger than Chris Bryant. Right. I'll say that again. So Bryce Harper already shows when you are perceived to do something, just like A-Rod was, just for the money, that perception changes very strongly. And, and so and if, that, he and if he re-ups with the Angels, it never does that. That's what I'm saying. Even if he gets the, high, the biggest deal in Even baseball if he, history. If he signs for $400 million... But it comes out that he could have gotten five hundred million dollars. People are gonna say, "Oh, he left the hundred. Remember Cliff Lee a couple of years ago? Yeah. The outlandish amount of money that he got in Philadelphia. But oh, he left money on the table. That's all. That that was the narrative. If you he stay, no on one table. ever, no one ever get. I mean, as a public perception, it never happens if you re up with the team that you were with. It never. Like, give me an example of a guy who got a whole lot of money to re up with the team he was with, and and people went, "Wow, that greedy guy." And again, yeah. I don't. I mean, I, I find it, it almost. Does, it I find like it humorous. Because when you say greedy... It does happen in the NBA, I think, sometimes. Right, but in baseball. I'm saying, because I'm just talking about in baseball, it is funny because when you say greedy, it's not like... Fans are unsophisticated enough sometimes. They're not saying (laughs) a lot of times. They're fanatics. But but they're not giving you money back. They're not saying, you know what, we didn't... You know, we, we ended up saving money on that deal. We put... So instead of putting that money in the owner's pockets... We're going to send it back and cut ticket prices. It yeah, they, don't, they, don't, they don't go George W. Bush on you and cut you a rebate check. Yeah. You know, that doesn't happen. So, yeah, it, it, I agree. That, that's why I think that there's a possibility. Uh, are there any other baseball players other than Bryce Harper who you see in national TV commercials other than retired players? It's Trout. C- CJ. Yeah, it's Trout. And it's C- Trout. And, and jo- no, Josh Hamilton and C.J. Wilson. Oh, that's right. I guess they are. Well, Joe Mauer also does yeah. the head and shoulders commercials. Yeah. But it's, it's a small number I feel like Trout being in Los Angeles and being that electric is a big reason why he has that. So well, to me, the, the, he's the, the to me guys, that's another reason to stay in LA. The two guys, who, maybe he just goes with the Dodgers. I mean, uh, the, they have the money. The, the two guys who could enter in that conversation, um, I think, going forward, Jose Fernandez. You know, like Jose Fernandez could become the face of the game. It's harder for a pitcher. I think but, it's also harder for the Marlins. Right. It's harder for anyone from right for, in that sports and, market. And the other one is Carlos Rodon. Yeah, well, that, I, I was going to say Carlos Rodon, and uh, he's apparently quite the guitar player. I was talking to a scouting director the other day who said Carlos played when they had their in, in-house meeting, which was pretty funny. Um, yeah, I think Carlos Rodon, uh, especially the a city like Houston, it's one of the bigger yeah. uh, markets in the country, even though people don't think about it that way. If Houston's good, I mean, you think about uh, Astros history, Nolan Ryan was one of the bigger stars in baseball before he got there, but... He became an even bigger star when he was there. J.R. Richards, same Mike kind of Scott. thing. There's a there's a tradition of the fireballer 
in Houston. Shane Reynolds didn't quite live up to that same thing. But, I mean, even Oswald. I mean, Oswald was a, you know... When, it was kind of a big deal. It was a big deal. For a little guy. Lance Berkman was a big deal. I mean, like, it is, it's not, it's, it's, you're not going to be lost there. It doesn't hurt, exactly. It doesn't hurt to go to Texas and be a big and deal And by the Texas. way, I, I, again, we keep saying it. Like I said, I had the Astros chat yesterday, and it's like, so are there any other options at number one? No. I mean, like, we don't know. It's a long ways away, you know, from June and all that, but... I mean, Jeff Hoffman is a really solid second, and if you want to just measure their stuff for stuff, Hoffman versus Rodon... Yeah, Hoffman has the stuff to be a number one pitcher, a number one pick in a draft. He also struck out like six point five per nine last year. You, you're uh, all the, got, the measurables of their stuff are in the same ballpark. They're fairly similar, but Rodon's left-handed, which is a check in his uh, in his box, a check in the box for him. Rodon's big game history is ridiculous. Rodon's strikeout history compared to Hoffman's. Is ridiculous. Hoffman's quite athletic. There are a couple of videos of him dunking this offseason. Carlos Rodon is also athletic and durable bodied and strong. The only knock really on Carlos Rodon is that he's thrown a lot of sliders in college. So that's the one thing right. you really want to see. Because again, last summer, toward the end of the summer, especially against Cuba, you can't knock the changeup anymore. The changeup was a major league average pitch. If not better, he's basically pitching with a 70 fastball, an 80 slider, a 50 uh, changeup, and probably 50 command because he was precise that day. So when you're talking about a guy at his best. You've seen you're talking about a guy who, again, uh, facing their biggest rival, North Carolina, for the last six times NC State and North Carolina have played. Carlos Rodon has pitched, and, and two of those games are extra inning wins for North Carolina, where Rodon goes nine and ten innings and gives up no earned runs against a team that went to Omaha. So. Uh, again, uh, you, you, he's I'm been sorry, at his best in no, big games. I, I, Hoffman, I think all these are separating factors that make Rodon a clear one, Hoffman a clear two. Again, if you say Hoffman's in the conversation, what you're saying is is that you're you're grading it on. You, there's two possibilities. It's okay. I think he's that Rodon's thrown too many pitches, too many sliders, right. and he's going to back up. Or you say, I just do not care it's about all, what they've done. It's all exactly. You're saying you're, well, what have they if done? Because you care at all what they've done. Correct. They're not in the same conversation. I agree. I think that's a fair way to put it. I do. We we have talked to one scouting director who has Hoffman over Rodon on his board at this time in the fall when we're doing draft report right. cards. But I think of the other like nine or ten that we asked the question to. It's I, if there were ten that we asked, nine of them thought it was I, a I, clear one. Right. I actually had one guy who was like, he picks, you know, he doesn't pick high, and he said, yeah. "Look, I can tell you the answer, but at the same time, to be honest." I'm not even thinking of Rodon because I haven't. I won't see him this year right. unless I'm in for something else. Because the reality of it is, is there is no chance that I'll get to. And I'll, I'll reference you again to our uh, uh, April second, two thousand eleven podcast. No, it was two thousand twelve. His freshman year. That's the podcast. Go about fifty minutes in, fifty-five minutes in. That's where me and Aaron go nuts on uh, Carlos. Oh. But he was a freshman, and just uh, uh, you know, compare him to recent uh, left-handers of that vintage. I mean, so he. You know, the guy turned down a half million dollars at a high school from the Milwaukee Brewers, and how different would things be uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers if they? Well, who knows how different they'd be for Carlos Rodon? Maybe he wouldn't be very good. The Brewers' uh, pitching development track record not the same as the Rays. Uh, so, but yeah, that's I would take Rodon over Tanaka yes. in our top one hundred. JJ, let's wrap on this. Um, Absolutely, I don't think it's, I don't even think. I mean, I, I wouldn't like I, again. Rodon to me. You know, we, we'll talk about this many more times, but best pitching prospect to come out in several years. Yeah, I mean, at least since Strasburg, and I think he has a case to be better than Steven Strasburg. I think he has a strong case 
that you'd like him better than Steven Strasburg. I mean, like the other comp, I guess, is David Price. He's a little bit more conventional than David Price. Maybe not quite as athletic. David Price is a little bit quicker twitch. Um, again, I, I think Rodon locates his slider better than David Price did at the same point in their careers, and he throws harder, more consistently. I would probably take Rodon. Yeah, he might wind up being the best college pitcher of the draft era in terms of their uh, what his stock is at draft time. I think that's very realistic well, to say. A lot of that depends the, on the, the guys in my year, yeah, the guys in my time at BA were, I would say, prior. Weaver, just because his 20, 2004 season was so ridiculous. Right, but the problem with Weaver, though, but he wasn't perceived as He wasn't because of his stuff. I mean, right, his fastball velocity wasn't in the same range. But Pryor, Price, Strasburg, uh, even Tim Lincecum was number two on our board. I mean, he had a, a massive junior season. And obviously, but, but, we were higher but again, on him, but perception But he was less conventional wise, because right. size, delivery. But, it, I mean, like, we thought Andrew Miller was outstanding. We didn't think he was, you know, epic. Like we do. Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer were both really good, but at the same time, you had, in both cases, you had, again, yeah, the thing that Rodon is, on, on you, the thing is, is Rodon does it, Cole, yeah. Rodon does it convention. I mean, like, if yeah, you said, design easy. me a number one pick. Right. It's kind one, of what you would design. One other difference is that Rodon has pitched his whole career in the BB Core era, so even though he had a three ERA last year, that's kind of a high ERA. I think he was the third team All-American for us last year, if he even made an All-American team, because no one else on the All-America teams had an ERA over, like, 220. Mm-hmm. But I, we may have put him on the third-team All-America team. If we, we may not have. If we did, it was because of his strikeout rate, and that's the only reason. He had a couple of rough starts early in the year. So, um, But, again, to me, uh, he'd be number two on my top 100 uh, you know, behind Byron Buxton. Same here. Uh, you'd, put, you'd put him up that high. And that's over Dander Bogarts or Oscar Tavares, some really accomplished hitters. Yeah, I, I don't hesitate. For me, he's two. Same, same here. I, again, and that's. I, I think I, I look at it more as that shows how much we think Buxton's going to be something. Because absolutely, I, I, I'm normally. I mean, I would have no problem putting him one, but Buxton. I, I think Buxton could be that good. Where would Tanaka go? Where would you put Matsuhiro Tanaka? I mean, we well, we got to figure. We got to figure this out real our soon. Our meeting, our meet, our top 100 meeting is Friday, so uh, we're wrapping. We're working on the college preview issue right now. We're in the middle of that two week cycle. Next two week cycle is the top 100. So. Uh, Top 100 will drop with the second week of February. I think that's right. So we'll meet on it um, Friday. Um, JJ, for me, Matsuhiro Tanaka, I think, is going to be in that 6 to 10 range. Kind of depends on where I wind up mixing him in with some of those really high ceiling shortstops after Bogart, who is at the top of that list for me. But measuring Masahiro Tanaka versus a Javier Baez, a Carlos Correa, uh, a third baseman with power like Miguel Sano. Chris it's Bryant. Gonna be, he's in the top 10 for me. Excuse me. I think I'll probably have him over Chris Bryant, uh, and I love Chris Bryant. Um, so it's going to be in that six to ten range for me. I haven't exactly settled exactly where in the top one hundred. Where do you think he's going to fall in your top hundred? I think he'll be top five on mine. I yeah. mean, I, I do think. Ahead I think of some of those guys. I, I think that you do have to give weight to a guy. You, uh, effectively, this is a guy who's been pitching in, above AAA for the last eight years. Yeah. So. You're, you know, there is to be something to be gained by this guy's going to be doing it next year. Compared yeah, ages to ages eighteen to twenty four, most of these other guys eighteen to twenty one are going to be in the minor leagues. He was pitching in the highest. Right. Level well, I'm saying can. like if you compare him to, you know, not not even a guy like Baez who was in Double A, but you compare him to a guy like Correa who I really like, but who was in Low A last year. Right. Well, you know, there's as much as you say pitcher versus hitter, and there's a lot of more safety in hitters. That and might all be that, the dividing line for but, me. I, I think I do like Baez better, but. But when you have a guy who you say this guy's going to be pitching in the big leagues next year, 
there are more when you're in low A. There's more ways to get hickeys on the way up. True. Than there is a guy who's going to be in the big leagues next year. I do feel like if Javier Baez were in the major leagues in 2014, I'd be stunned if he didn't hit 20 home runs. Oh, as an infielder, that kind of power I, I, in his game is hard to find. It's hard to believe at some point this year he won't be in the big leagues. To me, like yeah, I agree. I mean, he was, I mean what? There's not much left. I know he can improve defensively. I know he can cut down the strikeouts, but he spent half the year in Double A last yeah, year, yeah, and he, good. you know, and he dominated when he was in Double A. He did. He was not one of the better guys. There were games where it was like, no, 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 I'm taking this game and it's mine. Pretty much, he made this. He made the season his in Double A. So, yeah, that's going to be an intriguing. That's going to be a fun meeting. So we'll meet Friday. We recorded this on a Wednesday. We'll meet Friday on our top 100 prospects. So tons to come at Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com. We hope you enjoyed this uh, little ad hoc hour-long podcast. It had been a while, J.J. We, 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 we worked out a lot of issues here. So for J.J. Cooper, at J.J. Coop 36, I'm John Manuel at John Manuel BA. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.